You know, we've been on this journey in Acts for a while, and the last few weeks before spring break, we were looking at, in chapters 13 and 14, um, the missionary journey of Paul and Barnabas. And we really saw what it meant to be a faithful finisher. I mean, what they accomplished in a year and a half is really mind-blowing when you stop and think about it. They took the Gospel to pagan cultures. People that had never heard really about Yahweh except maybe by reputation of what He did in Egypt. These people had little idols in their tents and their homes. They were pagans. They did whatever they wanted to do. They didn't really feel indebted to any deity except Zeus, uh, Aphrodite. They were just pagan people. Very different from God's people. And yet, Paul and Barnabas took the God of Israel's message of redemption to these pagans. And not only took them the message, planted churches, made disciples, appointed elders. I mean, that is so mind-blowing. I want you to just think about that in a modern context. You know, Kyle, I send you and Brad, and y'all go, I say, okay, you're going in to Afghanistan and to a region over there that has never heard the Gospel. They're animist. They don't know what a Bible is. They don't know anything. And your job is to go share the Gospel with them, make disciples, and plant a few churches over there. You know how daunting that would be even today? And that even when you have this, you got to remember, Paul's Scripture was what? The scrolls. It was, it was the Torah. It was Isaiah and the prophets. The wisdom books. And so to do what they did, the only way that could happen is what? The power of the Holy Spirit. I mean, when... when Pagans are hearing a gospel message about this God of Israel. The only way they stand up and respond is by the power of the Spirit. I saw that in India. I was in this far remote part of India. And I was preaching to about 60, 70 people in this one tribal area. And I preached this message knowing they didn't know anything about the God of Abraham But I talked about the God of creation. I talked about the God who sustains life on earth. I talked about the God who will judge one day. And I told them about this God sending His Son to earth to die for people to be in a right relationship because it was impossible apart from that. And I shared the Gospel. And at the end of it all, I said, how many of you people hear this message today and know you're one of His and want to respond to that message. Nine of them stood up. Knowing that it was going to cost them. And it did cost them in that village. They were all ostracized out of their village. But they didn't care. They became a nucleus for a church up there. The only way that can happen is the Holy Spirit. There was no pre-work done with them. You just show up and share it. And that's what Paul then did. Paul was street preaching in Lystra and Derby. There were no synagogues there. He was street preaching and they responded. Well, 
When he got back, they had the first missions conference, and it was great. They were telling about everything that happened. But word had spread to Jerusalem. It had spread to the church that Paul and Barnabas, probably while they were gone, that they were out going to reach the Gentiles. And you've got to remember, in Jerusalem, there were a lot of Pharisees and priests who had become believers. And they're going, well, wait a minute. Cornelius is okay. You're talking about now taking the Gospel out? I mean, at least Cornelius was a God-fearer. I mean, you're talking about going and just giving pagans the same standing with God as we have? That's just not right. That's not right. So we better make sure that these people become Jews before they become Christians. Or if they're Christians, they got to go ahead and backtrack and do the Jewish part to make sure they're covered. And so that's what happened here. Two, two guys, maybe three, who knows? It's a, 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 some, some is what it says. Some men went up from Jerusalem to Antioch. And he went up there and says, hey, if you ain't circumcised, you ain't saved. You ain't circumcised, you ain't saved. So imagine when Paul and Barnabas hear that after they just risked their life, Paul got sick, he was stoned, he did all that to take a message of grace to the pagans and he comes back and these people from Jerusalem who you got to remember in Jerusalem, who was there? That was the celebrity church. That was the big church. That was the big boys. That was Peter, James, the apostles. No doubt these men, when they came up, invoked their name. Hey, we're from the Jerusalem church. You ever done that? You ever seen people do that? Yeah, they, they attached themselves to the authority of where they came from. And what happened is they get up there and Paul and Barnabas were upset and they debated with them. They had a healthy debate with them. But I want to remind you, Paul, by the way, where was Lystra, Derby, um, Antioch of Pisidia? Where were all those cities? Remember I told you? Yes, yeah, Turkey, but what, what was that called during this time? Asia Minor. But Paul wrote a letter to this area. Galatia. It's Galatia. This whole area is Galatia. Now some commentators believe Paul wrote his letter to Galatians as he and Barnabas go down to Jerusalem to contest what's going on as they've been debating. I don't necessarily agree with that. It could be. I'm, I guess it could be that uh, he could write it, but there's some things that he wrote in Galatians that makes me think it was after that, although he, he didn't reference, he did reference that time in Galatians 2. And so Paul wrote in Galatians this in Galatians 1, 6 through 9. I'm astonished that you are so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. Not that there's another one, but there are some who trouble you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. This is a kicker here. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one we preach to you, let him be accursed. 
As we've said before, so now I say again, if anyone is preaching to you a gospel contrary to the one you received, let him be accursed. So he's writing this to the people of Galatia who are now battling the same heresy that they were dealing with. You have to be circumcised. But it wasn't just the circumcision. And we're going to see in this text, it, it, once you require one aspect, it often leads to other aspects. Legalism leads to more legalism. I.e., look at the Pharisees. If it's wrong to go here, let's put a box out here so we don't at least get close to that. And so the freedom that we have in Christ is snatched away and we're, we're no longer free in Christ. So let's uh, look at the text. And as we look at Acts 15, 1-12, we're all kingdom priests. We represent the Most High God. So this is important for us to remember. As we look at Paul and Barnabas, how do they deal with the dissension here? How do they deal with this false teaching coming in? And so we see three principles as we deal with this kind of false teaching or, or really any kind of divisive matter. God calls us, first of all, to stand firm against false teachers. Right. And we see them do that. We stand firm against false teachers. And by the way, silence is not standing firm. Amen. Being silent is not standing firm. Two, we seek wisdom from leaders in the community of faith. Because the community of faith, the church, is the guardian of truth. And so we don't seek it through self-help books or even books outside. We seek it through the leaders in our faith community. And third, we stay grounded in God's Word and the Gospel. We stay grounded in His Word and the Gospel. And Peter brings that out when he starts sharing about that. So, open your Bibles to Acts 15.1 and join me in reading. Starting in verse 1. But some men came down from Judea and were teaching the brothers... Unless you are circumcised according to the custom of Moses, you cannot be saved. And after Paul and Barnabas had no small dissension and debate with them, Paul and Barnabas and some of the others were appointed to go up to Jerusalem to the apostles and the elders about this question. So being sent on their way by the church... They passed through both Phoenicia and Samaria, describing in detail the conversion of the Gentiles and brought great joy to all the brothers. When they came to Jerusalem, they were welcomed by the church and the apostles and the elders. And they declared all that God had done with them. But some believers who belonged to the party of the Pharisees rose up and said, it is necessary to circumcise them and to order them to keep the law of Moses. The apostles and the elders were gathered together to consider this matter. And after there had been much debate, Peter stood up and said to them, Brothers, you know that in the early days God made a choice among you, that by my mouth the Gentiles should hear the word of the gospel and believe. And God, who knows the heart, 
bore witness to them by giving them the Holy Spirit just as He did to us. And He made no distinction between us and them, having cleansed their hearts by faith. Now therefore, why are you putting God to the test by placing a yoke on the neck of the disciples that neither our fathers nor we have been able to bear? But we believe that we will be saved through the grace of the Lord Jesus just as they will. And all the assembly fell silent and they listened to Barnabas and Saul as they related what signs and wonders God had done through them among the Gentiles. This is the Word of the Lord. He says in 15.1, some men. Some men. Contrast that with 13.1. You know what 13.1 says? Now there were in the church at Antioch prophets and teachers. Notice these men weren't, these men weren't referred to as prophets and teachers. These were just some men. Do you notice that? If they would have been sent out by the church, they would have been a prophet, a teacher, an evangelist, a missionary. These are just some men. I always crack up when people say they want to um, go start a Bible study or start a church. <coughs> Or they want to be a missionary. My first question will, do you have any support? Who, who's sending you out? Oh, I, I'm just going to do it. You don't just do it. You have to have a church that sends you out. You have to be sent out from a local body where believers who have been faithful to teach the Word that know the Word, send you out to do that. I was sent out that way. I, I, I've got five churches that I'm accountable to for my doctrine, for my teaching, even here at SWAT. And so, you, you don't just go do something on your own. And how do we know these men just came up and did this on their own? Flip over to 1524. When they sent them, they sent a letter to the Gentile believers, and they acknowledged when they sent this letter, they said, Since we've heard that some persons have gone out from us and troubled you with words unsettling your minds, although we gave them no instruction. So, what does that tell you? They were operating independent of church leadership, independent of any leadership. They just decided to go up there on their own. They were renegades with an agenda. And what was their agenda? Their agenda was they didn't think it was right that pagans could just come into the, the, the family of faith when they had been the load bearers for all the years. And these guys had been pagans, Gentiles, doing everything they want to do. And now they have equal status with us? That doesn't seem fair. So we're going to make sure they have the law too. But it's Jesus plus nothing. Jesus plus nothing. Do we have a problem with that? Just a few weeks ago on the radio, I had a guy call in 
we're talking about baptism. And he said, well, I heard you talking about this, but you have to be baptized in order to be saved. I said, I don't think so. You're telling me the thief on the cross wasn't saved? Well, that was a special exception. But you just said you had to be baptized to be saved. If you add anything to Jesus, it's legalism. It means you do something. Anything. If you go to this church, there are churches that teach that if you don't belong to their church, you're not going to heaven. There are churches that teach that if you don't take communion, you're not going to heaven. It's their communion plus Jesus. Are we supposed to take communion? You bet. Are we supposed to be baptized? You bet. Are you condemned to hell if you don't? Not according to what Scripture says. If this is my authority, it's Jesus plus nothing. It's so clear in Ephesians chapter 2 when Paul says that. For by grace you have been saved through faith. It is a gift that no man may boast. Grace means He's giving it to you. It is not something we deserve. Peter affirms that in this text today. It's Jesus plus nothing. Now, in Galatians 2, when Paul wrote the churches of Galatia, he referenced this time in 2.4. He says, after 14 years... I'm sorry, 2.1-4. through Then after 14 years, I went up again to Jerusalem with Barnabas, taking Titus along with me. I went up because of a revelation and I set before them, though privately before those who seemed influential, the gospel that I proclaimed among the Gentiles in order to make sure I was not running or had not run in vain. In other words, he brings Titus. By the way, you know who Titus was? There's a book in the Bible with his name. It was a pastoral letter. He, he wrote Titus a letter about pastoring and shepherding. Do you know where he came from? He was a Greek. How do I know that? Because Paul says that. <clears throat> but even Titus who was with me was not forced to be circumcised though he was a Greek. Why did he take Titus up there? He wanted to show that even though he did not grow up in a culture of the law, that the law was written on his heart and he gave his heart to Christ when the Gospel was preached. And there was a change on the inside of him. The Spirit lived on the inside of him. When people trust Christ today, the Spirit lives inside them and there is a visible change in people. It's visible. There's a, a, a friend of mine uh, named Joe. Some of you guys may have met Joe. I don't know if you're on the trip to Israel he was on. But Joe was a pilot friend of mine in the Marine Corps. And Joe was like number two on my list of people that would never trust Christ when I was going through an evangelism training thing. And 
one day I'd been sharing with Joe and he'd been asking me a lot of questions and then he just came in one day and told me he did it. I said, he did what? Trusted Christ. And he was like a new guy. So much so that some of the student pilots were saying, what's going on with Captain Cochran? Something's different. They could tell. He was different. It was visible. You know, if you go down, I read it in verse 5. When they got to Jerusalem, it says, some believers who belonged to the, Pharisee, the party of the Pharisees rose up and says, it is necessary to circumcise them and to order them to keep the law of Moses. You see, it doesn't just start, I mean, it stopped with circumcision like it started in Antioch. They went to Antioch and says, hey, they got to be circumcised. They get to Jerusalem, now you got people saying, well, they got to be circumcised and they got to keep the law. Which law? There's 619 laws. Which ones do they keep? This is false teaching. This is a perversion of the gospel. And Paul, Paul, up in verse uh, 2, it says, well, go back just as they end in verse 1. This is what they said, just to quote them. Unless you are circumcised according to the custom of Moses, you cannot be saved. That's what they told him. Imagine Paul hearing this after he comes back. Risking his life to take this gospel message to people. And, and he tells them, hey, unless they're circumcised, they can't be saved. What do you do with that? Well, it says Paul and Barnabas had no small dissent. They had no small dissension in debate with them. You know what no small dissension is? You guys ever remember when you were growing up, your dad said, hey, you need to step outside. We need to have a talk. <laughs> Meeting of the minds where he basically instructed you that what you were doing was wrong. Do you ever remember those? Or, or, or somebody, a boss or somebody? Maybe you had those discussions. That's no small dissension right there. Paul and Barnabas were upset. And they, they, they debated with these guys and they sat there and said, listen, you are, you, you are dismissing the grace of God if you're going to take them back in the law. You can't do that. And so, Peter says in 2 Peter 2, verse 1, false prophets also arose among the people just as there will be false teachers among you who will secretly bring in destructive heresies, even denying the Master who brought them, bringing upon themselves swift destruction. False teachers. Do we have false teachers today? Do we have, do we have churches that aren't even really churches because they're led by false teachers or wolves in sheep's clothing? That pervert the Gospel? They use Jesus' name? They use terminology in the Bible, but it has very different meanings from what... God meant in His Word. And what do we do when that happens? What do we do when we're standing next to somebody and they see your SWAT book or they see something and they say, oh, you're a Christian? Yeah, me too. I go to this church. Really? Well, that's interesting. What do you, tell me, what, what are you all doing now? And he starts talking and all of a sudden he throws out there something 
that ain't right. What do you do? Do you stand firm for the truth? Do you stand firm for the truth when people are introducing heresy? When somebody says, you know what? Because when this guy was on the radio, it was live in front of everybody. People listening everywhere. You remember when he called? You can't let that die. I was on with you. Yeah, you can't let that die. When somebody says, you have to do this plus trust Jesus, it's heresy. Paul says, let them be accursed twice, even if it's an angel. It's just, it's, it's false teaching. And it's the worst kind of false teaching because it perverts the gospel. The good news. Jesus came. If there was anything, anything we could do to add to that, why would He have had to do that at all? He did it all on the cross. Every sin that you commit, every sin that you have committed, every sin that you will commit is already paid for when He died on the cross. If you're His kid, if you're His child, He, he paid for it all for you. Thank you. And so, we have to stand firm. I want to go back to that Galatians 2 passage because in verse 4, it says, uh, Galatians 2.4, Yet because of false brothers secretly brought in who slipped in to spy out our freedom that we have in Christ Jesus so that they might bring us into slavery, to them we did not yield in submission even for a moment so that the truth of the Gospel might be preserved for you. Thank God that men throughout history have stood up for the Gospel message to bring it so that we can have it today in its purest form. It's not that we're pure, but in its purest form, it's Jesus alone through faith alone. And that's what He wants us to know. And Paul says that. Notice what he says about the brothers. He calls them false brothers. So it makes me wonder up here when it goes um, in verse 5, some believers who belong to the party of Pharisees, can you be a believer and not be in the family of God? Can you be a believer? Somebody who is a quote believer? Well, doesn't it say that Simon the magician believed in Acts chapter 8? He wasn't in the family of God. Paul's saying that these were false brothers. False brothers who snuck in to spy out their liberty. And they came in with an agenda. Just like those men went up there. There may have been people who joined the movement because you know what they said? Well, maybe this Jesus is Messiah. We want to cover that base. But they didn't really believe that He was. They believed about Him, but they didn't really believe in Him. And that's what happens a lot today. A lot of people believe about Him, but they don't believe in Him. He is Him alone. It's Jesus alone plus nothing. He is King, Savior, everything. And we've got to stand firm against false teachers. Well, what happens? I want to go to verse 2 where it says, Paul and Barnabas and some of the others were appointed to go up to Jerusalem to the apostles and elders about this question. 
Who do you go to if you have a, a struggle? If you, you have a dissent? Do you go to the leaders of your faith community? Can you go to the leaders of your faith community? Can you go to the elders of your church? Can you go to the pastor of your church? You know, Brad, you and I have talked about this a lot. When you have mega churches, a lot of times, people say, well, that's my pastor. That's the one that seems to have a handle on the truth. At least he's given it every week. <coughs> but try to get in to talk to him. Good luck. When pastors who are supposed to be shepherds have so little time that they can't tend to the flock, that's a problem. It's a real problem. And, and sometimes I think we've created this problem here and now we don't know how to fix the problem. Because I don't think the model was ever meant to look like this. Do you think they didn't have thousands of believers there? But they all didn't flock around Peter. <coughs> they, they all had churches everywhere. Little house churches. Little places they went to. But there were times where they would go to some of the main ones. And that's what they did. They sought wisdom from leaders in the community of faith. Especially in spiritually divisive matters. You don't consult a book for that. A book can't talk to you. A book can't reason with you. A book just gives you information. It's, it's, it's one-on-one or two-on-one or you go in there. You can't just read a book. Books are helpful, but at some point, you've got to consult somebody that knows this maybe better than you do. Or at least is able to see an issue more clearly from the Bible than you because you're blinded by your own prejudice in a particular matter. Does that ever happen to us? Do we ever get prejudiced in the way we look at Scripture because we want it to say what we want it to say? You bet. You bet. That's why we go talk to somebody who can be unbiased. Unbiased. 1 Timothy 3.15 says, Paul writing to Timothy says, Timothy, if I delay, you may know how one ought to behave in the household of God, which is the church of the living God, a pillar and a buttress of truth. The church is supposed to be the guardian of truth. That's where you go. It's where people used to go. Now everybody goes to Google or Wikipedia or got questions. Those are good sites. Listen, there's nothing wrong with going to those places, but those people don't talk back to you. They, don't, they can't sit there and look at you and engage with you. If you're going to teach men, or anybody for that matter, the truths of God, and you really want to shepherd people, you, you make yourself available, or you at least make sure they have somebody available in your, uh, your church that they can talk to. But you still seek wisdom from leaders in your community. And what do you do if those leaders don't use this? What do you do if those leaders don't know this? Or they know it wrongly or they pervert it? Well, you better find another church. 
Because the church is the buttress of truth. And it's supposed to be going to this, not to public opinion, not to how this is going to impact giving, not how this is going to impact our body. You stand by truth. What the truth of Scripture is. So that's where they did. They went down and as they went through, they passed through Samaria and Phoenicia and they told about all the Gentiles got converted. And guess what? All these Samaritans were excited for it. They didn't have a dog in a pony, a, a, a dog in a fight. They were they were excited to hear what God was doing in other parts of the world. It says it brought brought great joy. Then they came to Jerusalem, and they were welcomed by the church and the apostles. And then those other believers came in who belonged to the party of the Pharisees and said, "Hey, you got to keep the law." Well. They gathered and they considered the matter and it says, after there had been much debate. Now, do you know how hard it must have been for Peter not to speak up while they were debating? This shows what? He'd already been humbled by Paul. Well, yeah, he had been humble, but he sat there quiet. I mean, he, it says, after it had quieted down, that's a big change for Peter. And notice what he says. Where does he start? He said, brothers, you know in the early days, who made a choice? I hate it when people play the God card, don't you? (laughs) He plays the God card. Because he's giving them God's Word here. God made a choice that by my mouth the Gentiles should hear the word of the gospel and believe. And God, who knows the heart, bore witness to them by giving them the Holy Spirit just as He did to us. God spoke to them through Peter. By the way, this is why... See his pen. If I tell that pen to write, he ain't going to do nothing. Write, pen. Write my name on this paper. It's just going to sit there. It can't do a thing. Write. Come on. It's just going to sit there because it can't do nothing apart from me taking it. Spiritually, That's how we are with God. We can't do a thing spiritually without God moving through us and holding us in His hand. Anything we do apart from Him doing that is in our own flesh. And the Bible says it's not going to stand. It's not going to stand. And so, he says God made a choice. God bore witness. He gave them the Holy Spirit. And here's the key phrase. He made no distinction between us and them. Who made no distinction? You know what I'm reminded of here? Remember the words of Gamaliel? Be careful. Be careful. This is from God. You're going to find yourself fighting against God. What's Peter doing? 
He's taking God to them, saying, God did this. The same thing that happened to us at Pentecost, we saw in Cornelius' house. And so he gave witness. There was no distinction. In Ephesians 2, 14, it it says, For He Himself is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in His flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances that He might create in Himself one new man in place of the two, so making peace. God did this. He is about bringing together. And what they're trying to do is say, listen, you're separate. There's a second class. We're upper class Christians. You're lower class Christians. you got to come in and go through the process just like we did. you got to be circumcised. you got to get the stamp. you got to keep the law. you got to do all this stuff. And they're saying, no. No, that's not right. And so where did He take them? He took them to God's Word and He took them to the Gospel. Listen to what He says. He says, He made no distinction between us and them having cleansed their hearts by faith. Not by the law. By faith. Now therefore, why are you putting God to the test by placing a yoke on the neck of the disciples that our fathers nor we have been able to bear? But, and notice what He does here. But we believe that we will be saved. He's not talking about them anymore. He's talking about Him first. We. He says, we believe that we will be saved through the grace of the Lord Jesus just as they will. It would have been very natural in the course of that argument to say, we believe they're going to be saved just like we were, but He didn't. He made them an example of how they can be saved. He's teaching those Pharisees. The grace of the Lord Jesus. Thank God. Paul in 1 Corinthians 15 writes, Now I would remind you, brothers, of the Gospel I preached to you, which you received and which you stand, and by which you are being saved. If you hold fast to the Word I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scriptures, that He was buried, that He was raised on the third day in accordance with the Scriptures, that He appeared to Cephas, then to the twelve, then He appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have fallen asleep. Then He appeared to James, then to all the apostles, last of all as to one untimely born, He appeared also to me. For I am the least of the apostles, unworthy to be called an apostle, because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God, I am what I am. And His grace toward me was not in vain. You see, the reason we do things for God is because of what He's done for us. It's out of gratitude. And that's what Paul's saying. That grace was not in vain. I've lived my life obeying Him. Yes, we want to obey the Ten Commandments. Yes, we want to honor God's Word. But not to earn His favor. You will never earn His favor. 
The only way you have favor with God is by Jesus and Jesus alone, period. So everything we do is a thank you back to Him to say thank you for what you've done. To say it's not in vain. Hebrews 10 says it this way, For since the law was but a shadow of the good things to come instead of the true form of these realities, it can never by the same sacrifices that are continually offered every year make perfect those who draw near. Otherwise, would they not have ceased to be offered since the worshipers, having once been cleansed, would no longer have any consciousness of sins? But in these sacrifices, there's a reminder of sins every year. For it is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sin. Consequently, when Christ came in the world, He said, sacrifices and offerings you've not desired, but a body you've prepared for Me. And burnt offerings and sin offerings you've taken no pleasure. Then I said, Behold, I've come to do Your will, O God, as it is written of Me in the scroll of the book. When He said above, You have neither desired nor taken pleasure in sacrifices and offerings and burnt offerings and sin offerings. These are offered according to the law. He added, Behold, I have come to do Your will. He does away with the first in order to establish the second. And by that, we will have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once and for all. That sanctifies you. Period. Nothing else. Jesus plus nothing. If you don't go away from here with anything else, the Bible clearly teaches Jesus plus nothing. That's not what a lot of the world teaches today. That's not what false teachers teach today. It's Jesus plus nothing for salvation. Paul says, let any man who teaches different be accursed. I hope, I hope that's clear that we stand firm against false teachers. We seek wisdom from our faith community leaders and we stay grounded in God's Word and the Gospel.